0: .NET Rocks, episode 1063, with guests Rob Irving and Simon Jackson. Recorded Tuesday, October 28th, 2014. Welcome back to DotNet Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. How you doing, buddy? I am good, man. I've been... Uh... Tinkered away, rebuilding computers, you know, that's a fun fall thing. I consider myself a shade tree technician these days. Just get to build the stuff I want to build. Yeah, that's nice. I I consider myself that way, too. Uh, it's sort of a dilettante kind of career, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really expert in anything anymore, are we? Yeah, I don't know. To call us generalists is, is a little bit strange because uh, uh, I guess we are generalists. Yeah. Yeah, well, we get to we get to touch everything. That's one of the fun parts of the job. We get to play with things that not even, you know, this is .net rocks, but as you know, we do things that are not just .net around here. We're interested in technology all over the place and not just technology, but For sure. Uh, but I have something for Better Know framework that's going to make my point. Awesome. <laughs> So, if you go to tinyurl.com/slash rift real time, rift as in Oculus Rift, R-I-F-T real time, check this out. This is an article in Gizmodo where a coder builds a real-time virtual reality world around himself wearing the <laughs> Oculus Rift, and you get to see it. So, he's construct. he's got this, you know, 3D helmet. He looks around, it shows you the world. The first thing he did was constructed a view to his screen of code. So as he types, he can actually see the code on it. So now he doesn't have to be looking at his computer in order to code. He can just look through the Oculus Rift. Very (laughs) brilliant. And now he builds his world with starting with one cube and then multiplying to different cubes. And then he makes them rise and fall. And then he makes them undulate and change colors It's so effing cool. Unbelievable.
1: We can imagine when you get a fully rendered world to be able to go up, look at a glitch on something and then call a code window into (laughs) existence, correct
0: it. it. You are God. You are God. They say, this is low level deity stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they say on the Gizmodo article. That's hilarious. So I just posted it to my Facebook uh, you know, for my, for my local friends who know me as a musician. And, you know, so this is what coders actually do. Right. You know. It's just that normally we have to have this vision in our minds.
1: Here it is represented in a pair of goggles in front of your face. It's like abstract
0: reality. That's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. Crazy, but very cool. Neat. All right. Well, that's what I got today, Richard. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 1012,
1: and that's the one we did with Mr. Atlee Hunter when we were talking about making money on mobile, which I thought was apropos for what we're doing today. Absolutely. And uh, Louis Adelson Bond sent this comment. He said, hey, a great show. I always wanted to develop in the mobile world. Since when the Palm was the mobile platform, I wrote that one app. But without the mobile stores, it was very complicated to distribute the apps, you know, which I'd love to brought that up because it's a great point that Hmm. app stores are our friends really sometimes anyway Uh, maybe no one ever gets to know about the app without that app store and with the windows mobile platform i can finally get into the mobile world and make that little app that see how it works in the distributed environment and i can tell that it works really well my app has about six thousand downloads right now after five months and i haven't made an upgrade yet which is shame on me but the ratings are going well and it's a good motivation to continue developing this app has only one feature yes one feature and that's to check online the lottery results it doesn't view past results it doesn't let you input your numbers and compare anything it just shows you the last results and this app gets a great rating and has a decent number of downloads and i think that the windows phone store lacks a lot of good apps which is why simple apps are getting big downloads i love my lumia but i Mm. hate to see a good app that is only in ios and android and most companies don't even try and make a phone version. I don't know how big the market is, and I don't think they care about us, but here we are and every day getting more and more users. I think Microsoft's doing a great job on WinFone, and the future is bright. I see every day that more and more phone makers are building phone versions, and the real position of WinFone is second in market share. It can't compete with Android, that is on every phone out there, but then most with out any quality, you know, this very, very cheap Android phones, which is mm-hmm. why the 520 is one of the best selling phones in the world. Hmm. I'm with you, louis And and in, I mean I'm going to take from your name and a, l- a little bit of the ESL that you're probably not in the US. And the 520s are doing really great outside of North America. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for in the next wave of phones. But it definitely seems like you look at these new phones like the 735 and the 830, they're sort of mid-range phones. They're not super high end. I think Microsoft's actually playing to that strength. So I'm optimistic, but it certainly hasn't happened yet. Yep, very true. So, Lewis, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or in any of our mobile apps, because we've got them
0: for WinPhone 7 and 8, Windows 8, iOS, and Android. And that brings us to our guest today. Rob Irving is a Microsoft MVP in Windows platform development and a senior software engineer for ALK Technologies. He has a passion for developing Windows phone apps and recently took a developer advocate role with AdDuplex, where he helps Windows and Windows phone developers become successful by promoting their apps on the AdDuplex network. Simon Jackson is here with us, and he's a game development evangelist and MVP for ID at Xbox. In the UK, welcome, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. glad to be here. Okay, so Rob, identify yourself with your voice. Hey, this is Rob. All right, and
2: Simon. Yep, hey, this is me, Simon here.
0: Great. Now we know who you are. <laughs> That's <laughs> the wonders of audio only, right? Yep, yeah, but it's part of the challenge. So uh, we we're here to discuss uh, strategies for monetizing your app, and uh, I guess I guess that begs the question the first question is are we talking just about ads or are we talking about in-app purchases or what's the focus of your of your uh, strategy here rob you want to take it first
3: sure um I, I think you can definitely combine having uh you know monetization using ads and always give the user an option to opt out and, and purchase or donate to you to uh, get rid of the ad banner. Um, I think Atley has actually talked about. You know, you referenced him in the uh, the show intro. Mm. He's talked a lot about how you can offer multiple in-app purchase price points when getting rid of ads, and that's actually a really good way to get a little extra income. Instead of offering just 99 cents, offer you know nine cents, one ninety nine, maybe up to five dollars, and you might see some users will actually you know give you that extra money. Is there any data
0: on how many people actually click on ads? I know that the, from what I've read about the about web banners and things like that, the response is pretty dismal, especially if there isn't any targeting or, or that kind of thing. You know, if if the ad comes from someplace other than uh, the, the the website that is providing it.
3: Yeah, from what I know, click-through rate of 1% is considered to be very good, which Jeez. definitely does seem pretty dismal to to be hoping for 1%. But you can often see, yeah, 02 to 0.5%, pretty low.
0: You know, the difference is, like, if you go to a website where, I don't know, you get uh, coffee beans or something like that, and you see an ad that says, before you even browse through their catalog, you say, special today, blah, blah, blah. But it's them, right? It's not some other coffee maker trying to lure you away from their site, right? I think that those are the ones that um the people tend to ignore at least on the web. Sure, sure. I think I think the distinction here is when you're on a coffee site, you're looking for
1: coffee. Most of the time when I'm if I'm playing a game on my mobile app, uh
0: my mobile phone, probably not looking for coffee, so a coffee ad's not going to do much for me. Right. And th- and that begs the question, you know, the appropriateness of the ad to the market and the thing that they're doing is what it's really all about, isn't it? Um, Not just the mechanisms for getting the ad there in the first place, but what is it that you're actually selling in? Is it enough to get this person to do something else from what they're actually trying to do right now?
2: Yeah, we see a lot when sort of apps and games when they're trying to advertise. Uh, I mean, most ad providers themselves have lots of different categories and where they can Uh, target where the ads are, whether they're health or whether games or entertainment. And a lot of app and games providers generally try to stick to the categories that are relevant to their title, try and improve their click-through ratio, ratios. Or in a more interactive way, they actually do more ad exchanges, like with Duplex, where you're actually promoting other apps. So the fact that you get a better click-through when you are, you are being relevant. There's certainly a lot of trend for that, but it also you get an odd expression of what interests people when they're actually doing these things. And, and you've got ads they are going past and what people click on. Because I was saying high rates from people who just simply click on what their interests are. So if you're randomly changing what kind of ads are showing in your app, it's very different because everyone's everyone is different when they're looking at these ads. So in the most cases that you can get ad revenue off just impressions but granted you need millions upon millions of actual impressions to get any kind of realistic revenue right you know the the higher throughput is in is on the clicking um but there doesn't appear to really any good measure on what really makes something clickable because it it is just down to interest you know there is the side of relevant to what it is there's other side where people just oh i found that interesting
1: Mm mm-hmm and I gotta think, if you're playing a game, the ad that's gonna be most appealing is another game. Like that to me kinda makes sense.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, I mean that's where our duplex kicks in. I mean, Rob can speak dreams about uh, how our duplex um gets a lot of clicks through simply because the fact that they're showing other other apps or games that are relevant to what that is. It's like, oh well that does something I want to do and I'll click on it.
0: So does it only work for games or is there a certain type of app or a certain aspect of an app that makes it more successful in terms of uh, monetization, Rob.
3: Uh it doesn't have to be just games, you know, it it does have to be an app that the user is going to spend some time in though. Um so news readers, you know, you're sitting at the screen reading for a while, you're going to keep seeing lots of ads being refreshed. Uh also any type of like social networking, you know, like Facebook and Twitter do really well with advertisements obviously. Um But yeah, anything that the user is going to spend time in. So like tool and utility type apps probably aren't going to do really well if they're trying to monetize with
1: ads. And I'm looking at the ad duplex website. And so it looks like the math here is kind of interesting that, I mean, for the most part, these sort of giveaways for every 10 ads that you serve of other people's games, you're going to get eight ads on other folks' games as well back. And the other two are actually the paying ads that are used for other things.
3: Yeah, so ad duplex is a really great way to you know advertise your own app um, without having to actually spend any money on advertising. You just put your app out there with the ad duplex banner. It generates impressions for other apps in the ad duplex network. And then in turn, like you said, Richard, you get eight impressions of your app's ad shown on other devices um, other apps using the AdDuplex duplex network for every 10 ad impressions that you display right so you're, you're gaining users instead of monetizing off of it how do you get uh into a
1: given category like how are they matching games or is it just by the categories in the win in the store
3: with AdDuplex, when you're setting up your account i believe you're create you're uh, choosing your category so right. you know, you're definitely supposed to choose the category that you would uh, categorize your own app in so if you're a game, then choose a game, obviously. Right. So you match yourself up to the areas
1: you want to be in. Right.
2: Yeah, you have the same with uh, most other app providers out there, not just our duplexes, that you You, as the provider itself of a somewhere you're going to service ad You say, right, I'm this type of app. Give me this type of uh, advertisement. Or in the likes of Pub Center, you can actually say, right, well, I want uh, one set of advertising for this category and another set of advertising for that category. So it doesn't just have to be one. It can be a mixture.
1: Right. And it's up to you to just think through how you would appeal to other audiences.
2: Yeah. You as the app provider are supposed to be responsible in what you put forward and what you put out there. Granted, it's a a hard balance, really, because realistically, as the the app provider, you want the the kind of categories that give you the best revenue because each category can do better one day and not, not as good as the other. So generally, a lot of providers actually they try to manage what categories they publish within their apps themselves. So today health might be really big on the the monetization because these app providers are are actively selling their real estate to other companies for advertising. And so some are willing to pay more than others for how much throughput they're going to get. So like I say health will be good one day, entertainment to be good the next.
1: And ad duplex is not about you as the app developer making money, just about getting new users by getting in front of folks that hopefully are interested
3: in your app.
2: Yeah, ad duplex is more about self-promotion.
3: Yeah, the slogan for ad duplex is uh, advertise before you monetize. So the goal is grow your user base up front and then focus on monetization because right. you need to have, you know, thousands or millions of users if you really want to make money using ads.
0: And that's been reality since the web. I mean, you know, people thought in the beginning that they could just put up a website and people would come to it. And, you know, it was true for a while while there was only 100 websites in the world. But uh, the reality is just because you have a podcast or a website or some other thing doesn't or a game doesn't mean that um, it's going to be well attended
3: yeah, there's no such thing as build it and they will come. Right. That's a the big myth, isn't it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. You have to advertise. You have to do you have to do the grunt work to get your brand or app known out there and for people to look at it.
1: Should we talk a little bit about what kind of ads you can build an environment here like here? Like is it just a bit of text? Or can you put up a graphic? Like how do you get people's attention?
3: Uh with AdDuplex, duplex you can definitely uh create a graphical ad banner. Um you, you can put in just like four lines of text, but you're definitely encouraged to do uh, design your own graphic ad banner. You're going to see a lot better performance with that, I think. So there is an art here to building
1: a good little banner ad. You don't have a lot of room like this is tricky.
3: Sure. One of the nice things you can do, though, with that duplex is you can do some A-B testing. So, you know, you design, you know, one, two, maybe three uh, ad banners, create a campaign for each one to promote your app and, you know, throw a few bucks into uh, getting some impressions for that ad banner. And then you can see which one performs better. Right. And obviously that's spending a little bit of money. Usually ad duplex is free. It's just cross promotion. But if you just spend a little money to test out these different campaigns, then you'll know which ad banner you should use for your cross promotion.
1: Well, and you still have a bootstrapping issue here. If there's nobody using your game, then there's no ad impressions gonna be going out.
3: Like you have to have a certain number of users to get ad impressions to get more users. Sure, Uh ad duplex is, you know, it's one tool that you can use when marketing right. your app. Um, if you're in the Windows and Windows Phone world, uh, it seems that you know the Windows Phone users are really eager to get new apps, which is great for app developers. So websites like Windows Central, which uh, just got renamed from Windows Phone Central, Um, You know, they post tons of reviews and their editors are really approachable. So if you just put out a new app, try to talk to those guys and get your app reviewed on their website. And you could find yourself getting a huge spike of of, uh, users coming into your app up front. There's also a website called WM Power User that actually lets you write your own article about your app, like write a press release, and they'll post it on their website. Well, and in the end, these review sites, having been a reviewer, they only exist
1: when there's stuff to review. So it does work both ways. Like it's not inappropriate to ask to be reviewed. No, not at all.
2: Especially in games, it's very prudent. The fact that your your main aim there is even before the game's finished is you're trying to get at least your proof of concept out there and get your brand awareness from the very beginning so you can start to build your following even before the game is actually released.
1: So even in beta, you should be getting out there and saying, hey, would you like an early view of this?
2: In some cases, even before that, even at just the concept stage, I mean, look at Kickstarter and the way that's sort of launched these days. Right. It's like you're looking at concept art and things like that. And there's nothing to say you can't write uh, a good um, marketing art for your game uh, as you're even just concept designing it, getting it out there in front of other um, games or websites or other publishers and things like that. So they've got at least awareness and they know what's coming up. Um, they Generally, like drip-fed information rather than just a big band we're releasing mm. tomorrow. because mm-hmm. They've got no time to react to that.
1: Yeah, then that's the engineer's way because we firmly believe in this idea that we're building a better mousetrap and they will come. You'll go dark for 18 months and build the greatest thing known to man and then drop it on your site and just presume everybody's going to come. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're wrong. So wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kickstarter tells a lot of the stories these, g- these days is that Small people are then going, look, I've got this idea. What does everyone think about And then, obviously, Kickstarter is the portal and to launch that, which is certainly one good marketing angle. But granted, it does have its own fallbacks and issues with going that way. Uh, Generally, a lot of game developers these days prefer to go more through the networks and through the publishers or the the game magazines and things like that to try and get their game awareness up just to let people know.
0: And that's why they do it. I mean, that that's the whole reason that you can do it is because there are people listening to what you say. And it's because you say things that they want to hear. Right? You know, that's the that's the reason our podcast exists. We have so many listeners. And then we can if we do a Kickstarter for something, people are gonna respond to it. But if, you know, Joe, I've never done this before, does one, well then they have a problem. All right. So getting back to the ad duplex thing what 's the secret sauce or the the magic that gives you such a higher click rate in ad duplex? I mean, we talked a little bit about matching things, but can you t- can we talk a little bit in more in depth about it
3: uh, i'm not really sure how they they have as good a click rate as they do. Um, they definitely advertise that it's it's close to one percent, which you know sounds dismal but it, but it is quite good for the advertising industry um but I, i'm not really sure what they do that's different um maybe just that the ads are more relevant because they're always going to be about other apps and and as i said windows phone users are always eager to get new apps are they vetted by people or is it all done with algorithms do you know i, I believe you do get your uh your ad approved before it goes into the store yeah
2: yeah, we certainly see as well. You get you get more. There's certainly a lot more kickback these days over the, the more visual and um, icon kind of ads that you can put out there. Uh, although our duplex has traditionally done text based ads, I mean the move to videos, well, to pictures. Sorry, there has some glad to do video, which is just very strange. Um, but you do see a lot of a lot more better interaction from users about imagery simply because, in the case of it, it, just looks more appealing, and also it's also more multilingual in effect because text you have to translate, where images it's just a nice picture you need to go and look at. It's so all like grabbing that person's interest.
0: It does have to be the right size for the device, though, right?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, multiple sizes for multiple devices and multiple frameworks.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I get the
1: idea that making the ad is the hard bit, and you can't just make it a bright, flashing thing saying, click me or you'll die. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, it's, it's all marketing at the end of the day. It's marketing is hard, and it's one of these things where you should be thinking about this at the beginning or at least halfway through your practice of how you're going to market what your thing is right. and how it's going to be presented to it. Because at the end of the day, pe- people will decide within the first five or ten seconds whether they like something or not just from looking at it. And then it's, do I then look further and see more detail about it?
1: Well, and they see, yeah, you know, you've already hit on this idea that long before the product's finished, this should be part of the conversation. Is this, is this of interest to people? How do we communicate it? Like, it's not just about building software.
2: Oh, definitely. Um, when the, It's the old 80-20 rule where the 20% takes the, hard, the hardest part of it. I mean, yeah, marketing will take 80% of that 20% to actually get the thing right. Right.
1: Well, and the sooner you start the conversation, the better chance you're building something that people are actually interested in. Yeah. All right. So beyond ad
3: duplex, are there, what are the other advertising tools? Well, uh, we both work on an open source project that, uh, we can talk about, which is called ad rotator. And ad rotator is actually a great way of combining different, um, ad provider controls into one and, uh, Changing between them when a certain ad control doesn't have an ad. Um, one thing that a lot of developers don't know until they find out the hard way is that there's this concept of fill rate, and most ad providers like Pub Center and uh, Google AdMob and others don't have 100% fill rate. Meaning, every time you show their ad, you know the app is going to go to the server and request an ad. You know, most of the time, you might not get anything back, and that's the what the fill rate is. Most of the time, like more than half. Yes. Wow. Wow, indeed. Well, it's one one of the things I've noticed
1: in web performance tuning is that a lot of often to get an ad to be displayed on your web page, you'll go through this chain of we check for an ad from here and then check for an ad from here and check <laughs> for and then like seconds can go by while it goes through this chain to finally find an ad.
2: Yeah, and we see the same thing in most other providers. They usually promise, well, they, they rarely promise actually, but you usually say about 20% fill rate if you're lucky. Wow. Sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower, but you've also then got regional variants. So the likes of PubCenter are fantastic in the US because they have US provider, uh, US advertisers as a part of their network. You then start that up in Germany or the UK and you're going to get nothing. Um, the likes of, uh, Somato and, uh, in Mobi, they're very strong in Europe and other ones like Interactive are more East Asian and, um, far in the far East kind of range. Ri- ri- so it's also regionalized as well, where you're going to get strong fill rates from different providers.
1: And so is there a way to build your code to actually figure out where you are and go to the right provider to increase your ad likelihood?
2: Yeah, well, this is where um, ad provider really excels in itself because it's one control that services many ad providers for you. And with, behind that, there's a configuration which you can also update online. So it means you don't have to keep redeploying your app. It's almost like having a website on your device. Right. And you can basically, in that configuration, set up regional settings. And so in the US, right, I want Pub Center, then I want uh, Somato, then I want App Duplex. Um so you can then go through those and it says, right, have you got one for Pub Center? No, have you got one for think? So like I say, going through fetching it, but it does all this in the background while you're still displaying an ad on the screen or interaction things where the ads can actually slide off to give a bit more visual impact to the user when right. they're on the screen themselves. And because you've got the configuration online, you can you can if you're suddenly seeing a, a reticle drop in providers, you right well. I'll switch those around and change them for that region or for this region or for that region. And there's zero downtime impact on the actual app itself. You can even go as far as the fact that we even support you to be able to write your own ads. So if you want to, you can advertise your own things. Or in some industry, people have done it, we found out. They even sell ad space in their own app.
1: Ah, interesting. Well, and it's because it's your code base. Now, you could tinker with it the way you want. So if you can't get a paying ad, display something that's at least beneficial to you. Correct. I know this from the web perspective, where a page is so temporary, there's always overhead in setting this stuff up. But if you're running in an app, you've got some time to actually figure out the best way to display ads. So, And you only have to figure it out once for a given run. And then you can uh, display ads for as long as someone's using the app.
2: Well, there is that, but it's a case of, um, you know, the, the impression rate is ba- is every single time you request. So you might only get one in five right. or one in 10. So it's a constant checking of what's available. And generally what we do in Ad Rotator is that if a provider is suddenly not giving ads, they go into like a failed bucket. So then it's like, right, we'll stop asking them again because they're not being very good for this user at this point in time. Right. And we'll go and ask someone else. And one of the things we usually recommend is that because ad duplex is different, which you actually you're always guaranteed a fill rate because they always have ads no matter what, you have that as the ultimate fallback. Right. So you're always guaranteed to have that space being used actively.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, do you have to sign up with each of these ad providers to get paid? Yes. Okay. So there's a, there's a bit of an overhead here. And, and what's the payment system? Is it just per impression? Do you get more for a click? Like, what does that look like?
2: Uh, like with a lot of these things, it, they, they have payment thresholds for how we're going, far you get through. Generally, it's around either $50 or $75 before you'll start getting revenue back off them. Mm-hmm. And that does keep building that up until you cross that threshold.
1: And what's the typical compensation rate? Is it so many cents per thousand impressions?
2: Uh, yeah. we Generally, you talk about maybe 8 cents per thousand on uh, some of the good ways. I have seen much better rates. We also have seen extremely worse rates. Um, Pub Center, unfortunately, at the, at the beginning of time, Pub Center was fantastic, and they, they were seeing almost, um, oh, maybe five or six cents per thousand, right, uh, or more. I've seen they're making fortunes off that of Pub Center, but of late, that's sort of really dwindled down because their they're, um the advertisements that they can show have been getting lower and lower and lower. Right. But mm. of late, Microsoft announced just a fresh injection injection into that area, so. They're starting to see a much better um, return on inc- revenue on that.
1: And in the end, you want to have stuff that's effective, right? Like, an, advertiser's an advertiser is in advertising just to spend money. They want to make sales. So if I put $1,000 into advertising via phones and get nothing back, I'm probably not going to do it again.
2: Yes. there's a constant battle for the publishers to do things like that.
0: Yeah. Hey, Richard yeah buddy no time it is now uh, must be that happy time again yeah time to announce my new kickstarter project an app that automatically creates an app based on social network memes creates targeted ads sends them to ad duplex and then announces it on kickstarter <laughs> <laughs> it could take over the world no thought required just <laughs> push the button <laughs> it just
1: keeps I'll going I'll buy that for dollar
0: <laughs> it would fill up kickstarter with projects <laughs> Oh no, my for loop is out of control. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a while loop. It's going on for eternity. I- There's no
0: break. Actually, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who won today, Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can now create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Danny Cook. Congratulations, Danny. Golf clap for you, sir. Danny's name was picked at random of our thousands of members of the .NET Rocks fan club, and he just won a big pile of awesome from Telerik, the uh, DevCraft collection. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .NET click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December – Coming up here, we give away $5,000 to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to join to win. And we like to ask our guests, we'll start with you, Rob. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology
3: right now, what would you buy? So right now, I'm downstairs in my den, and I'm looking over at my TV to the right, and it's looking a little small. <laughs> Just not big enough. So I could probably upgrade that. It's a forty two inch LED and it's it was an upgrade at the time, but mm-hmm. uh, I think I could probably use another upgrade for five thousand. Right. Yeah, for five grand you can get something in the eighty to ninety
1: inch range, four <laughs> K curved display with three D.
3: Yeah, that sounds nice.
0: And your head will explode. <laughs> <laughs> now you just gotta have something good to watch. Yeah, or a room <laughs> to put it in, because that's bloody huge.
3: Maybe a <laughs> slightly smaller TV and some nice speakers, too. Yeah,
1: getting get that system actually balanced right is always interesting. Very good. All right, Simon, your turn.
0: What would you buy with five large?
2: Oh, I'm going to get more geeky and down with that, but still visual. So I'll probably go for a nice big uh, Oculus Rift kit with and several Connect 2s, so I can actually start doing some virtual experiences and walking around my house.
0: I like it. Hey, did you like the uh, video? Did
2: you see that? No, i have not. i not. Seen, I've seen a lot of the press release and stuff that's going on there. to uh, the, the I know a few friends who've been working with the uh, the DK2 kits, and they're just astounded by it. It's just
1: pretty amazing. It's just
2: the technology is getting better and better each year. But it's only
1: 350 bucks. Like you haven't spent your five grand yet, dude. It's not mm. easy to spend that much.
2: No, you've not seen my my ideas for a virtual kit around here. <laughs> oh, oh, right.
1: Um, <laughs> what was that crazy? Uh, Platform, the the like uh, universal treadmill that you could walk on.
2: Yeah, there's the big circular treadmill kind of kind of thing. Which, and I think it was a few years ago. It's been not, there's new versions of that now. But if you get that and you twin it with that like that latest hoverboard experiment, it's like you could really go well with that.
1: Yeah, I've been watching that hoverboard experiment, trying to figure out if it's just a gag or not. Like, a, is this thing actually going to work?
2: It's it's just odd because it's just maglev, just but really, really, really noisy. That's why I can't get why it's so noisy.
1: Yeah, I'm not not sure what it actually is like, but how this is really going to work. But I'm with you. You know, we're trying we're trying to make our science fiction toys. All right, very good. So
0: uh, let's talk about the ad rotator control.
3: Yeah, so um, we recently updated it with support for Universal Windows apps. Um, in addition to that, it's been around for a while. It's supported on Windows Phone Seven, Windows Phone Eight. And Simon's done a lot of work to get it working on Unity as well.
2: So
0: what is this control? And is this something that's in the box or is this something that you guys have built? Tell us about it.
3: Uh, No, it's not in the box, but you can get it over NuGet. Um, You can look for details on it at Mm getadrotator.com. And it's really easy to set up. You can drag and drop it just like any other uh, ad control right onto your XAML. And uh, then you just get a little configuration file that you add into your app and use that to set up your your account with PubCenter or Adduplex or Smoto or any of the other ad providers. Okay. So how do we go about using it? Uh, Simon, you want to take that one?
2: <laughs> it's only because I'm an old hat to this. I've been at it almost the beginning. Uh, I mean, project itself was originally started by Giglio Ross and I then got involved for my sins. Uh, i I've tendency to keep getting involved in open source projects and then running with them for years. (laughs) And Rob's sort of our latest member. So Um, Yeah, I mean, the control is just very easy to use itself and get up and running. Once you've got Ad Rotator installed and you put put in all the ad-provided controls from the various providers into your project, it is simply then a case of just managing that configuration and deploying it. And moving forward, and we also highly recommend is that as I said before, you can host that configuration remotely so you don't even have to change your app to keep change your, change the ads you're going to show in it. Um, we'd highly recommend this simply because you need to manage those ad providers to try and get the best uh, revenue feedback from the ads you're going to display. And one other interesting trick is that, I um, say, if you've got your own ads in there, uh, you're either selling your ad space or We've also seen that for actually providing feedback to users about updates and information coming up about the app. So if you if you know you've got some downtime in a back-end service, you can be telling people about it like days or weeks beforehand, if you know. Or you can tell them the fact that, oh, big new update coming next week and here's some great features and you wanna really want to get get on board with it. Mm-hmm.
1: And it sounds like paying attention to the ad systems you're using, like I, I'm looking at these use cases where it's like, all right, you want to do like, you're in the US, so 70% pub center and 15% ad mob, 10% mob fox, 5% ad duplex. Like you could spend a lot of time tinkering with this.
2: Oh yeah. And um, we highly recommend it. I mean, we haven't got any analytics built into it yet, but sort of on the roadmap to try and help choose what you're doing. But it's a case of just moni- monitoring and managing what those are, what your returns are from each provider. So if you find one's doing better than the other this week, then sc- simply switch around the configuration to make that better. Right. I mean, We offer multiple options to do this now. There's now three ways you can configure that. So you've either got pure randomization, so give each provider a probability and it will randomly pick one based upon that probability. Or unless it fails, then it'll throw in the fail bucket for for that run. Um, you can specify an actual order in it. So, right, here's my highest-paying ad provider. Keep trying them until they fail and then go to my second favorite one. and am working way down. Hmm. Or you can actually simply set, set up a loop. So get an ad from provider one, then from provider two, provider three, back to provider one. So there's lots of different ways and options you can do to configure this.
1: Yeah, but the big thing is to figure out for a given phone, likely location, and what other information you have about them, which provider got ads and which ones, you know, how are they making money? Like, the analytics to me seems like a really important part of the equation.
2: Yeah, I mean, the providers themselves do give you some level of detail, but they're generally a bit cagey because they don't want to be telling you what is the highest priority one. They want that to be based upon just what what kind of categories there are. So they don't want people to be playing games, as it were, as much as everyone would like to.
1: Hmm. Right, you don't want to just keep flipping around. Like in the end, is still trying to provide service to customers, not just try to yeah. scrape as much money out of it as possible.
2: No, it's it's a balance between the two, and it's like anything else. If you simply throw it out there and leave it, then it's going to do fair to middling well. If you spend the time and actually managing it, then you can get see a, a tenfold increase in what your returns are on that, and also making sure your users are satisfied and happy. Because the one thing you don't want at the end of the day. Is an unhappy user because then that straight fast track to an un- uninstall, and then you've lost that user and his impression.
1: Right. And y- are you serious about that number? You're saying when you take care of this, you can get ten times the results.
2: Yeah. We, well, we, in some cases, we've seen more, especially in the old days. And um, feedback we got from people using it is that if you are managing it like anything else, so if you're managing your social networking to keep advertising on other networks, your money. If you're managing your advertising. Then I'm working with the highest, pay, trying to work in the highest paying categories and things that are suitable for your projects. So you're not going to annoy users and you're not going to try and put them all over the screen. Um, you can see a, a massive increase back on in that. Simply because it's almost like playing the stock market with ads because categories can be really high one day and then drop down the next. And it's just monitoring that.
1: Right. Knowing where advertisers are spending their money.
2: Yeah.
0: Hey, Simon, you want to talk a little bit about
2: Idea at Xbox? Oh, yeah, I could talk all day about Idea at Xbox. Okay, it's bleep, bleep, uh, bleep, and all the stuff that's not redacted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a fantastic program that Microsoft is sort of pushing on these days, especially for game developers and anyone who's out there developing a game, especially if it's for another platform. Yeah. it's You lose no money in trying to put yourself forward. And the big thing we try to push forward with anyone else now is that is having a winning and unique selling point for your your game itself um, it's not like the days of x where anyone under his hat can throw it in you do have to try and promote yourself a bit and say look i've got this award-winning thing and it's all really about the selling pitch so once you've got the pitch right and you pitch it to the id team they're likely to pick up and run with you and there's no cost implications there's n- they don't ask for any money you get if you're in the program, you mean, they give you all the development hardware and software you would need mm-hmm. and all the licenses you need to build it. So it's just about putting that pitch forward. Um, we do see different things from uh, some of the competitors. So how Sony are doing this or Nintendo are doing that to help indies and prove forward. But right. they all do have the same core tenant that they want quality titles on their platforms. So ID is no different in that sense. It's that if you've got a winning idea no matter whether it's new or whether it's on another platform, pitch it to them. And at the end of the day, you'll, you, can, you can get on there and start making revenue.
1: How much experience do you need as a game developer to have any success in that space?
2: Um, some helps. I mean, it doesn't have to be full of experience. Um, I know ID members who are on there who've only got maybe six months actual development experience right. or design experience, where you've also, again, got some of the bigger houses who've set up their own little indie offshoots where they've got you know developers who've been working on Halo and been working on all these big massive games. All I do really care about at the end of the day is do you have a unique selling point? Something that's going to bring attention to their brand and their and their devices and that's going to effectively sell on that platform. And one thing they do try to promote as well is that um, you've got the games with, games with live gold on there as well. So if you can get yourself onto that program, you're almost guaranteed sales because they will promote your game for you. So nice. yeah. it's lots of things in there and they, they are really looking to help you out, but you do have to put that groundwork in at the beginning and you know make them notice you in the in the first point.
1: And there, there does seem to be this chasm between the Electronic Arts of the world and their giant multi-million dollar games and the indie developer... Building sort of original idea stuff, but one, two, three people like there's doesn't seem to be anything in between those two, or maybe I've just missed it.
2: Well, we sort of see about four categories in that there, and I've been working with game developers for many years. I mm-hmm. mean, it's almost why I got my MVP, actually, eventually got my awarded MVP this year for just the efforts in getting people going and moving aboard. You've got your one- one or two-man band, um, and we've seen those in the x days, and some of those are really fantastic, and they've gone on to do very well. You've got your uh, sort of mini-offshoots development team who've sort of taken several people who've gone, left big studios, and they've started their own little mini-studio right. going forward. Um, you've got the next sort of professional level where you've got the, the EAs of the world, and they've gone, right, well, we're going to start a nice new little indie stock, what they call an indie studio, which have millions of dollars, dollars available to them to do work. That doesn't seem very indie. <laughs> <laughs> They're still classed as indie. It is it is a It is a personal point of frustration that an indie is basically one who doesn't have a frontline publisher, but the likes of EA can still set up their own little indie studio mm-hmm. with big budgets and fairly big teams and go out and do indie titles. And then you yeah, have got your your first party big EA publishers who have their big brands and IP and they run with that and run it in different ways.
1: Yeah, because it seems to me the electronic arts of the world these days don't make new titles. They take their old titles and they make a new version. I mean, you actually want to see new games. It's coming from smaller groups.
2: Yeah, I mean, you see some really good, some brilliant and inventive ideas that come out there and it, all they lack really is the push to really get them out there and get them noticed. Um, and it takes sometimes big p- competitions like London Dare is a, a fantastic way for developers to sort of hone and test their skills and get themselves proven out there. Um another such big sort of hackathon projects to try and show new ideas. And that's where some of the bigger ground roots sort of game development things are coming out of.
0: Is uh, Do you guys recommend Unity for people starting in games?
2: Uh, well, being a generalist, I recommend whatever tool is comfortable to you. So yes, um, if you're coming from a design background or, or just learn Unity is a fantastic tool for that. Um, other size, if you're more of a programmer, then you got the likes of Monogame, which is the evolution of what was the dream of X and A with Microsoft. Uh-huh. Um, you see sort of left field things that come in there. That's where you've got like the big engine is one real, which is they brought the price points for that right down now. And as of last week, we saw they sort of semi-partnered with uh, Xamarin. And now you've got Mono for running with Unreal. So it's no longer just uh, the C++ world. Wow. Um, which, I must admit, is a big breath of fresh air. And you have got that last vestige of hope, which is building C++ games. I mean, I've done some of that and ran a race squeam- screaming.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: So you said Unity is not really for developers, but for designers? Is, I thought it was a C-sharp language environment.
2: It's It does C-sharp and does JavaScript, but it's very much art-focused in its in its foundations. But saying that, it's whatever you're comfortable with. If you're brand new and beginning, and you've learned a bit of, sort of object-oriented program design, then Unity is a good place to go, for, especially for new beginners. Mm. Um, but we see in the education industry, they're showing off, whatever is comfortable for people to pick up with so whether it's unity whether it's uh scratch is very popular so the the primary skills and secondary skills um you've got the likes of construct which are a bit more web-based and things like that so there's many many tools out there for whatever it is and generally what we say is that pick whichever is comfortable for you and then we'll help you on that journey and get you going on it Hmm. okay very cool yeah, there isn't a one-two to kill them all, I mean, granted. No, no, I, I just wondered
0: what you recommend for, for C-Sharp developers who who want to get into uh, a bit more graphical game development.
2: Well, for C-Sharp, I would probably recommend uh, Unity as a good first stop. In fact, there's a fantastic book that was recently released that uh, showed you how to do C-Sharp a lot with Unity, which, funny enough, was written by one of the people on this podcast. Huh,
0: isn't that interesting? Oddly
2: enough, oddly <laughs> enough, I mean no, that's uh, mastering Unity two game two D game development. Although it is a it is an intermediate um title, so the fact that some Unity, the likes of Unity, is needed up front, whether it's off the, the the videos off their site or one of the other beginner books that are out there for getting people going. But it's Unity is a fantastic way to get going. But same again, if you're a hardcore C-sharp program, and then the likes of Monogame are sort of easier because it's pure C-sharp, then, and you're learning more about how games breathe and live, where Unity sort of abstracts you from that to say, here's an engine, just throw stuff into it and make it do stuff.
1: Right, okay, I get you. Yeah, they a very different way of thinking.
2: Yeah, it's like comparing HTML and JavaScript. It's-
1: <laughs> and you could get to the same destination either way, it's just coming yeah. at it from a totally different direction.
2: Correct. And multitude of things. And there's no, st- no sense of saying you have to focus on one. I know a few devs who, who will dabble in a few. Um, but the only one I don't, generally I'm not strong in is the sort of JavaScript game engines, but I'll still, I'll know people who do that stuff and I know where to point people when they need that information. And I try to learn along the way as well.
1: You know, we've talked about monetizing through advertising and we we're talking a bit about games. The one aspect I think we have really not drilled into, which seems to be the hip thing now, is you give away the game and you do in-app purchases mm-hmm. to make your money. Are you guys doing anything in that space?
2: Uh, it's it's certainly one way to do it. There's, like I said, there's many ways to cut the cheese, as it were, when it comes to monetizing a game. And it's one of those things, as we keep saying, saying to people at the beginning, learn Learn and decide what you want to do from the very beginning. So, at the concept design phase, have a mind of how you're going to sell this. So, yes, there are ways you can sell it for free and do an app purchase. Uh, yes, you can sell it at a premium price and offer sort of extensions within a purchase or just off sales. You now, there isn't no, or in fact, just sell it or have ads. You know, there's no one way of doing it. But what you also find, tend to find is that you have to be responsible in whatever you do when you're around your monetization and you can't be shady as it work there are now sort of European and sort of international legislations to sort of hammer down if you force people to click on things which can either um, cause them grief or show them something they shouldn't do or force them to spend money where they didn't intend to right, so yeah. you have to be you have to be very careful about what you're, what you're doing responsible but it does seem that
1: there's a group of folks out there who really don't like the in-app purchase model, that it's manipulative, that it's, you know, very Skinner box.
2: Yeah, and yet there's other people who
0: just as well love it. But I guess it depends on what you're doing, right? I mean, you can't, you can't give away an app for free and then allow them to play for like 30 seconds and then say, oh, give me some money. I mean, you know, it's extortion. <laughs> there's a You really do, you, it can work if you do it well.
2: Yeah, I mean that's generally the basis of the whole trial schemes is that some markets offer trials, so you can say uh, you can use me for seven days and then you must pay. Ouya mm. uh, does this almost exclusively. Uh, the Windows Store, and Windows Phone markets offer that as an option, or other people do the other way, so they say free, and then there's net purchase to say right, you know, you warn the user right at the beginning, you now this is a trial, you know you must unlock me to go further. Mm. Um But what you generally see tend to find, and this is where it really is the real bum trying to find your market is unfortunately free apps generally t- get downloaded at least 10 or at least 15 times more than paid apps. Yeah. And again, it's a fine balance of that, but you do tend to get a better quality of person who's willing to pay up front for something and get value back off it as well. So yeah, mm. it's, it's working out what you want to do and going with it. And um, sure. But also there's a there's a sense in there is that if you are going to sell your app and you are thinking about selling it for money, don't just pitch at the 99 cents or the one pound rule from the very beginning. Give yourself some wiggle room and start at maybe like $3 or $5 and then do sales and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's finding what fits you right for both your style of app or game and then going with it. Um and working, what your monetizing strategy is.
1: I mean, that being said, I really, I like the appeal of ad duplex from the sense of saying, hey, if you like this game, maybe you'll like this game too. Like that to me is the least defensive kind of advertising I could imagine.
3: Sure. Uh, ad duplex is, uh, is just a great way to uh, promote your game. And like we said, I mean, that's a really important part of building your user base so that you can actually successfully monetize off your app.
0: All right, guys. Well, we're just about, out of time but before we go is there anything that you want to call out uh, calls to action resources that kind of thing
3: yeah so I talked earlier about how ad duplex lets you promote your app at an 8 to 10 uh, impression ratio uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me on Twitter I have a code that you can use when creating your account to increase that to a 9 to 10 ratio for the first six months nice and you can find me on Twitter at Rob W Irving nice Simon
2: yeah, uh, I'd probably say everyone really can find me on Twitter as at Or for more information, it's basically go to my blog, which is darkgenesis.zenithmoon.com, which uh, <laughs> every show I keep thinking I should build a bit.ly for that to make it easy to remember, but there it goes. We'll
1: put them in the show notes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, there's lots of information there. are tons of resources. Um, I generally also run two big sort of massive link posts which get updated on a regular infrequent basis which have tons of free resources or tools or information or training that to keep people going on their journeys. But I'm also very contactable. So anyone in trouble, just reach out, and I'm always happy to talk.
0: Simon, are you really that dark, or is it just an act?
2: Oh uh, No, it actually comes from... Uh, there was actually a game called uh, Dark Side, which was a sequel to a game called Driller. Huh. This is way back into the very earlier days, so... And
0: what's the significance? Is that your favorite game of all time, or did you have something to do with it, or what?
2: Oh, it was something I picked up and ran with. It was in my CB handle for some days when I was <laughs> back in the old ham radio, so it sort of stuck with me, so... Dude, um,
1: I played Darkseid on the Atari ST. Wow.
2: Ah, good.
1: A, a million, million years ago. Years
2: ago. It, it was just great, because it took Driller to a whole new level and made it more adventurous and more spacey.
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Well, 10-4, good buddy. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys next time on .NET Rocks.